Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Nights podcast. Uh, it's just Dalton again this time, and uh, kind of like the old days, we're going to take it back to uh, just an audio episode. I'm very sorry to the people watching on YouTube expecting to see video. Uh, several reasons as to why that's not happening this week. Um, I'm not one to give excuses, but uh, yesterday I was at my place of work from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m., and, uh, you know, not much motivation to get the whole camera set up, but, uh, you know, still wanted to put out some content, at least give you guys something this week, because there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened this past weekend in the world of movies, and, and I really want to talk about it. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Warner isn't here again, and uh, the only reason that is is because with I started working back at the movie theater that we used to work at, and uh, I am working pretty much all nights, and then I worked a double yesterday for Memorial Day, but I've been pretty much working all nights, and... Um, he's been working mostly mornings, so literally, I've not seen this beautiful man in, like, eight days, and my heart, it, it hurts, because I miss him, but, uh, don't worry, soon we'll get our shit together, and we'll make sure that we're all back on the same show, doing what we do best, talking about movies. But, uh, without, uh, much more time wasted, let's just, uh, get right into it, and go right into the weekend box office. Uh, this isn't including Memorial Day, this is just the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because I, I just consider that traditional box office, and, you know, I'm not gonna boost their numbers with the Holiday Monday, even though it is good for every movie, because, you know, people have more chances to go see it throughout that Monday. Any hoozle, coming in at number one, um, not surprisingly, was Aladdin, making about $90.4 million, and it, you know, it did get into 100 over the four-day weekend, but, like I said, yeah, weekend's only three days. Um, uh, the critical reception of that movie has been somewhat mixed, but a lot of audiences seem to really enjoy it. And um, I'll give my review for that at the end of the episode. I'll actually give reviews for Aladdin, Brightburn, and Booksmart, all movies that I saw this past weekend. And um, coming in at number two, again, unsurprisingly, was John Wick Chapter 3, making another $24.6 million, and it's dropped only 56%. That's pretty average. Um, it actually has now made $182 million worldwide and has become the most financially successful movie of that franchise. I mean... The budget's probably a little higher than two, so in order to like get more actual returns, it probably has to make a little bit more. But it's only been out for ten days, so you know it, it it's going to make some good money. And I'm really glad that John Wick Four is happening now because obviously it's going to turn out to be a good investment. Um, God, I, I can't get over the action scenes in that movie; they were insane. Oh, and I finally got my girlfriend to watch John Wick One and Two, and we went to go see the third one, and she liked them all, but we kind of watched them all at once. So she says they kind of bleed together. So. I can't show another action movie for a while. I gotta go to some comedies or some horror films, so... But either way, you know, movie watching. Galore. <laughs> um, coming in at number three was Avengers Endgame, making another $17.2 million. And um, it's getting close, closer to Avatar. It's still not in the $2.7 billion worldwide range yet. Um, but it's getting there. I think by the end of its theatrical run, it will pass Avatar. I'm gonna go ahead and flip and give another definitive answer on that. Um, however, I still am adamant that I do not think it will reach Force Awakens' domestic number. I think that's just such a high number, and much higher than people kind of realize and understand. And uh, just Star Wars' Force Awakens had more legs than Avengers Endgame seems to have. It also had less competition. It came out at Christmas. You know, there, there's a whole thing you can break down, but um, there's no doubt that both of these films were a true pop culture phenomenon just in different ways with with the insane opening weekend that Avengers Endgame had 
But uh, I think it, I think eventually, like I said, by the end of its run, it will cross Avatar for the highest grossing film ever worldwide. But I still think it'll be number two domestically. That that Force Awakens number is just bonkers. However, eight hundred million dollars domestic is nothing to nothing to be shy over. Help! This movie is stupid successful. It, it it could end now, and everyone involved would be perfectly happy with what it's done. Be more than happy. And it, it's it's just still insane what Kevin Feige and the MCU continues to do. Coming in fourth was Pokemon Detective Pikachu, racking in another thirteen point three million dollars, almost thirteen point four, and um. This movie is actually online beginning a lot of, uh, I mean, it got praise on it upon its initial release in its opening weekend, but I've noticed a lot more people who have finally been able to go out and catch it, because some of the word of mouth's been pretty positive about that movie, and um, a lot of people seem to be really happy with the film. Now, it, it's not making quite as much as I think the studio wanted it or expected it to make, but the people who have been seeing it have, you know, for the most part, really seemed to enjoy that film, and, that, and that's really good to know, because video game movies have really really bad reputation hopefully uh soon and we can get another good video game movie and uh i know there's a halo tv show coming in on showtime sometime soon and whenever that happens i will not get showtime because that's expensive but i will watch it on the internet so yes i'm very excited about that and coming in at number five was brightburn making 7.8 million dollars and that movie was made for six million dollars so it's already made its production budget back um, it'll, you know, it'll probably oversee its marketing costs over the next few weeks, but, uh, for a small independent film, that's really great, and, um, I think it picked a good time to come out, I think it, um, was really smart in how it marketed the, um, almost like a retelling of the Superman story, but with that dark twist on it, and I'll get to my review, like I said, at the end, at the end of the episode, but, you know, it's nice to see that independent films are doing, you know, not too bad, and also coming in, I'm gonna go ahead and save the number six spot as well, because that's where Booksmart came in. And it was kind of a battle between Booksmart and Brightburn. Booksmart made $6.9 million, slightly under Brightburn. And um, that movie, I will get into at the end again. But um, if, and, and I know that people listening, uh, I know I have, you know, fans back home in small towns, and you probably don't have Booksmart or even Brightburn playing in a theater near you. And um, But if you do have those films playing near you, I highly recommend just going out and supporting them with your box office money because... I don't like when people complain and say, oh, Hollywood doesn't make anything original anymore, or they don't make anything, uh, you know, I mean, Brightburn's not really original, it's based on Superman, but y- you know what I mean, they, they 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 just franchise things, they just, it's all sequels, franchise, reboots, and prequels, and that's not true. There are, you know, original concept or original, like, number one movies that come out, and the problem is nobody pays to go see them, and, you know, unless you put your money to films like this, you're not going to see them come out as often. And, you know, it's a whole complaint cycle and just, just support small indie films. You know, the more you support small indie films, the more independent filmmakers can rise out of the ashes. And, you know, if you do have the chance to see Booksmart or Brightburn playing near you, go support them. You know, they're they're good, and I'll get to them at the end of the show. But uh, now we're going to do the cool part of this, and we're going to go into our news stories. We had some decent things happen over the past week. Um, let's see, we're going to get things started with the following. Um, someone that we know, his name is Larry Check. Uh, we met him at the Hollywood Florida Film Festival last year, and, um, he is a really great guy, amazingly talented in the world of acting and producing and filmmaking, just everything. The guy's stupid talented. And, um, at Cannes, um, Mavia and Roses... Um, Elaine Berlander directs 
a StarCast and Second to None. This is an exclusive coming to Variety. And our boy, Larry, I believe this was his original story. Yes, I'm going to read an episode from the article. The original story behind Second to None was created by Larry Check, with the co-wrote, who co-wrote the screenplay with the Nashville-based screenwriter Karen Espinand production on the film will set to start in 2020. So I just wanted to point out that someone that we have met is, you know, making moves out there at Cannes and in Hollywood, and it's really, really awesome to see that he's going to be one of the screenwriters on that film, and it's it's really, really cool. And I, uh, I'm i going to go see it if, I, if it plays near me or if there's a chance I can go watch it because, you know, I, I like supporting people that I've personally met, and, you know, like I said, this guy is amazingly talented, and he's really, re- I mean, he, he's kind of made it, he's done a lot of amazing things in film, if you look him up, and um, hopefully I get the chance to run into him again someday, but I just wanted to go ahead and point out on the show that, you know, he's making moves, and uh, it was really cool to see, and um, I kind of lied earlier, there's not a whole lot of stories to report on, but um, one that I will say is uh, Christopher Nolan's new film gets a title, and a new cast, and uh, the title is called Tenant, and I'm not going to lie, I don't know what that means, but um, it's the next Christopher Nolan movie, so you can bet your ass that I'm going to be there. Um, Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite filmmakers. He might be my favorite filmmaker working today, but um, this cast is just ridiculous. I'm going to go ahead and read it off some of the cast to you. Um, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth DeBecky, Aaron Taylor Johnson, John David Washington, Kenneth Branagh, Michael Caine, no surprise, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, and that Michael Caine is just, like, they're synonymous with each other. Um, and while the specifics of the plot have been sort of kept under wraps, um, what the trades have been reporting is that the project is described as an action epic revolving around the world of international espionage. So, and I was talking to Ryan a few days ago, because, you know, we've, we've always talked about how... Um, Christopher Nolan has expressed interest in wanting to direct James Bond one day if it's like a start-from-scratch, you know, new interpretation of Bond. And Ryan was just like, well, this is him making his own fucking Bond movie. It's going to be in the world of international espionage. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But, I mean, we know nothing about this project. And there were early reports saying that's going to be almost trippy like Inception. So, basically, we know nothing, but we have what some people think they know. And um, it might be a little combination of both of those things. We'll see. But uh, regardless, I'm very, very excited about Christopher Nolan's new film, Um, and I've never seen a trailer yet. There's nothing, no poster. All I know is it's one of my most anticipated films of 2020, just because that guy's name's on it. And that doesn't happen with many filmmakers today. Um, You know, maybe him, Tarantino, Edgar Wright, and a few others, where just publicly and in the public eye, they can even allow that to happen and, you know, be able to present something like that in a way that they're able to just rack in money just from their name and you know not even movie stars have a lot of pull these days but you know a handful of select filmmakers can do it and it's 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 pretty wild to think about that uh, especially in a world where um the market is consistently changing with what audiences find appealing in movies and you know with conflict movies that are an all-time high and uh you know 20 years ago if you would have told someone like Christopher Nolan like hey the thing that's really going to put your name up there is when you direct three Batman movies, they probably would have said you were crazy, but, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy really helped propel Chris Nolan's name big time, and people went back and watched his old films, realized how genius they were, and now he's pretty, he can pretty much do anything, he can sell a movie with his name, like I said, so it's really fascinating to think about when you really break down a bunch of things, and we could talk about, you know, a lot of people whose careers were changed by just one movie that was in the pop cultural, like, zeitgeist at the time 
and then their lives were changed forever. You know, you can talk about Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. You know, I think he's one of the best actors on the planet. And um, even before Wolverine, he did amazing stage acting work. And after Wolverine and in between Wolverine, he put out some great performances. My favorite performance of Hugh Jackman is um, in the movie Prisoners, Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners. I think that film is incredible. And I think it's stupid that he didn't get an Oscar nomination that year. I think he was better than everyone else that was nominated. And should have won i mean granted i don't remember who was nominated off the top of my head but damn it should have been him um but yeah so i kind of went off on a tangent there but it's just you know a lot of really fascinating things to talk about and uh something else that i want to bring up before i get into my reviews of the movies that i saw this weekend is um next week um ryan and i will be in the hollywood florida film festival um showing our short film, The Long Hard Day, which is available on YouTube right now on the Movie Nights channel. Um, I highly recommend you guys watch it if you get the chance. Um, this is the first festival that that particular short film's gotten into. Um, thank goodness I got into one, because that was getting depressing. <laughs> but uh, basically, um, I'm really excited. to. It's going to be screening on a Saturday, and you know I've already shared ticket information on my social media. And um, if anyone is interested in going, or at least, you know, buying tickets um you, and it's in like i said it's in hollywood florida and uh, we're going to be screening with a bunch of other short films and there's going to be a lot of people there it's going to be a party every night the whole event's from the 4th through the 9th but we're screening on saturday the 8th and uh, like i said we're really really excited about it and you know please if you hear um if you're in the area and you want to go check it out please by all means do so and come say hi to me or ryan it'd be really a lot of fun and um like i said um hopefully it plays well uh, I always get extremely nervous whenever something I've made is screening in front of an audience, and you'd think as a filmmaker I should probably get used to that, but uh, it's nerve-wracking, and um, hopefully it plays well, like I said, and um, if it doesn't, that would be sad, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I'll have some awesome people there supporting me, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it, and a big thank you to everyone who worked on that film, because, you know, you've heard Ryan and I talk ad nauseum about the insane production troubles we had making that, and uh, it's nice to see it finally get a, a little bit of recognition from um, people in the film industry that we really respect and admire, uh, Min Collins and Simona. They're they're really great people, and um, it really means a lot that we're going to be playing at their festival, and uh, we we're very, very pleased to be able to go there again. Um, hopefully pretty soon we'll be announcing what our next project is. Uh, it's sort of been flipping back and forth. But um, I think we're we're pretty confident in what our next project is, and hopefully pretty soon we'll be launching an Indiegogo campaign to try to get some funding for it, even though we never get as much as we need and we have to, you know, bare knuckles to make it. But hey, if that's what's got to happen to get us off our asses, let's do it. But uh, but yeah, I will keep you guys updated about all that, and I'll keep you guys updated about um, Los Angeles with No More Safe Haven as well. But um, as of right now, um, we're about 15 minutes in. This probably isn't going to be that long of an episode, but let's just go ahead and get into my reviews of... Booksmart, Brightburn, and Aladdin. Um, I'll talk about Aladdin first. It's the bigger movie, contradicting my message earlier about support the smaller ones. <laughs> but uh, the Aladdin remake, um, live-action remake, it went through a lot of really kind of shit-talking uh, up to its initial release. And it uh, a lot of people were just kind of like, oh, the genie looks like shit. Uh, look at all this, blah, 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 blah. And it was mostly towards Will Smith and the genie, which, you know, it was just a trailer, and I never really understood the... Um, hate for the trailer. I mean, granted, I, I only thought that the most recent trailer that they did before the film's release was the only really great one, but, you know, with that being said, um, this film was actually pretty delightful. Is it like, oh my god, amazing, great? No. But this, something that this movie does exceptionally well is the atmosphere charms you 
almost immediately. Um, as soon as the movie starts, you're just ready for this, you know, wonderful ride this film's going to give you. And um, Naomi Watts as Jasmine was incredible. The main actor playing Aladdin, whose name is leaving me, he's a newer actor, I'm going to look him up, but uh, he, I thought he gave a really great performance. And here's the thing, Will Smith as the genie was the best fucking part of the movie, and people were all worried about it. He made it his own, he didn't try to copy Robin Williams in any way, and uh, Mena Masood is who plays Aladdin. And it's just, you know, he did a great job. And a lot of the CG in the eye in the movie is great, a lot of it is okay. But, um, you know, the overall journey that the movie takes you, and it's longer than the original animated film, but n- not a whole lot of it felt unnecessarily long. Some parts did, but a lot of it I liked what they added. There's a new musical number that is fantastic that I'm sure all of you have heard or seen on the internet by now, but it's a really great number that Jasmine sings. Um, and I'm really happy for Guy Ritchie because I love Guy Ritchie and he kind of needed a win after King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And by the way, fuck anyone who doesn't like that movie because I love that movie. And of course, I don't mean that. All film is subjective, but you know, uh, I, I just feel bad that no, not more people saw, gave that movie a chance because it flopped hard. But I thought it was a pretty fun and good movie. Was it the best movie ever? No, but it was really well done and I, and I really enjoyed it. And that's kind of how I feel about Aladdin. Um, Aladdin... There's a lot of magic to it. The choreography is great. A lot of sequences are very well thought out and constructed. Um, in terms of negatives of the film, um, it wasn't edited all that great. And when you notice editing errors or what you think is like, oh, that 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 sequence didn't really quite flow, then that that's how you kind of know that you know the editing was a little um, off. And um, like for example, Guy Ritchie's really famous for chase scenes. Like I know Guy Ritchie knows how to set up a chase sequence, but for some reason. A lot of the chase sequences in this film were horrifically choppily edited, and it's like, okay, why? I, I know Guy Ritchie probably set this up better. Um, you know, another thing that I'll sort of gripe about is the world felt very polished. I mean, yeah, a lot of it takes place in, like, you know, the Majesty's Palace and all this stuff, but even the poorer side. Even when, like, when you see dirt on children and stuff, it's, like, clearly someone just, like, took their fingers and rubbed it on them. Like, it, like nothing felt legitimately lived in, if that makes sense. And it, it, was, it was a little bit off-putting, but, you know, it didn't, like, completely take me out of the movie or anything. Also, the first song number, and the famous one from Aladdin, you know, the one step ahead of the bread line. That, well, I can't sing, I apologize, but that sequence was awful. At least I thought. Um, the song just kind of came out of nowhere, and it felt very weird. And it really was kind of a distraction. Um, but And I was worried because I saw it with my girlfriend, and when that number came on, I looked at her, and I was like, if the rest of the movie's like this, I'm not going to be able to watch it. But thankfully, after that, it completely picked up and got much better. And I was pleasantly surprised by Aladdin. And I'm, I'm going to give Aladdin a B+. Plus. So good job, Aladdin. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about uh, Brightburn. Brightburn was the movie produced by James Gunn, and it is a sort of a retelling or almost a parody of the origins of Superman, except it takes a horror spin on it. Like, what if Superman was evil? Instead of growing up to be the world's protector, he grows up to be someone who wants to kill everyone and dominate the world. And it kind of shows him as a young boy rather than, you know, an adult. But And that sort of allowed for a lot of interesting things to happen. Um, When they play on the Superman mythology, they play on it very well, and um, something that is really good about the movie is the lead performances of Elizabeth Banks and the actress who plays the uh, boy's father, whose name is leaving me, but um, he was on The Office. He was Pam's original uh, fiancé, that guy. Um, 
both give amazing performances. Really, really well done. And, um, you know, the lead kid playing Brightburn, he was actually, as far as child performances go, he did a good job, you know, because you see a lot of cringy ones. But, I mean, he, he did fairly well. He did a good job of kind of, kind of showing, like, the antisocial psychopath, especially when he accepts his role as who he is. Um, as for complaints about the movie, some of it kind of drags on. And some of it's very uh, on the nose. And it's 90 minutes, but there are still moments that feels like it was stretched out, which you don't really want from a 90-minute film. And um, also, I think he kind of accepts who he is rather quickly, and a lot of the movie is him being evil, which is awesome. But I think there should have been more of him deciding if he wants to be evil or good, because he kind of accepts it pretty quick, like I said. And now I understand that the movie had a lot to get to, and because there's so much that happens in the later half of the movie. But I you know I, I still feel like I didn't completely buy this transformation right away. And um, there were little filmmaking ticks in there that I really really enjoyed. Because for some reason, whenever I watch a movie, there's like a really small moment or a cool filmmaking thing that happened. I'm like, oh, that was really cool. Like a switch from a handheld to a uh, tripod shot, and you know, in between takes. Like I, f- I feel like that's really interesting stuff. I use some of the wrong terminology there, but you know what I mean. Um, but it's it's really, really interesting, and um, overall, I think the movie was a good time, and people will enjoy it, but um, I'm going to give Brightburn a B-. minus. Um, it wasn't quite as good as I hoped it would be, but it was still a pretty enjoyable time, especially if you want to see that riff on the Superman mythology. And uh, finally, I'm going to be talking about uh, Booksmart, which of the three movies this weekend, I think this was the clear best one. Um, it's directed by Olivia Wilde, who's mostly known for being an actress, and she did a phenomenal job directing this movie. It's about these two young girls who spent their whole entire high school lives, you know, getting straight A's, doing extracurriculars, you know, fighting for women's rights, and never partying because they wanted to get into all these good schools. Well, one girl finds out that all the kids who partied, all the kids that they despise, got also got into great schools, sometimes even better schools than them. And they just can't accept this and decide they have to go to the best party ever the night before graduation so they can say that at least one time they went out and they partied like rock stars before graduation. And, you know, some some of the plot's pretty typical with movies you've seen, you know, um, Superbad and other just teen comedies like this. Uh, there's a little bit of American Pie in there, but just switched, which I thought was kind of cool. But um, overall, I think this movie was extremely well done. Um, the two leads, lead girls in the movie are phenomenal. They play off each other very well. The chemistry is solid. Um, you know, every time they're on screen, you're kind of with them, and you're just like, all right, I'm ready to see them do pretty much anything. Um, in the second act, the film does dip a bit in that you don't know where it's going, but in a bad way. You're just kind of waiting for something to happen, and you're asking yourself, like, okay, well, what's the end goal here? Like, what, what's happening? And um, then the movie picks up towards the end of the third act, and it wraps up very well, very nicely. Um, I think that... This movie had a tough time deciding which audience expectations to subvert and which to fulfill. And they do both very well, but they also do both a little shakingly. And um, while I think the movie has a great overall message, and I think that the film really will resonate with a lot of people, especially in my generation. And I think, you know, people will discover this movie when it goes on streaming and DVD and Blu-ray, things like that. Um, I think that... Olivia Wilde did a really great job, especially for a first-time director. It is her featured debut, and, you know, one of the main jobs is directing your actors, and not just the two leads. Everyone who appears on screen in this film 
gives a great performance. Like, there was not one performance that was not top-notch in this film. And um, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, improvisational talent. You can tell that a lot of the scenes go off-script, and for the most part, they work very well. And uh, I'm really, really glad that I saw this movie. Um, it was really good. And I don't think it's quite as good as some people are saying. Like, I still think there are some issues, and I think that it dwells a little bit into the unrealistic at points in a movie that kind of wants you to feel like you're in the real world. But um, even with all that being said, there are some jokes where I, could, I was holding my stomach, I was laughing so hard, and my favorite moment in the movie is a dramatic moment, in the, and it's an argument between two characters, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful moment of filmmaking. And um, But like I said, overall, I thought Booksmart was, was pretty great, and um, I highly recommend everyone see it if it's playing near you, and I'm going to give Booksmart an A-. Minus, Yes, and I'm, I might go see it again, actually. It was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, that's kind of all the time we have uh, for today's episode. I thank you, everyone, for putting up with me and not having visuals today. But um, I hope to see you next week, and hopefully next week after the Hollywood Florida Film Festival, we'll be able to give you some awesome news, and we'll talk about it, and hopefully we'll be on camera again. Thanks a bunch, everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon.